Support for Under the Radar comes from Wellwithall. Wellwithall believes that self-care is community care. Premium products crafted for your daily wellness, from sleep support to heart health to your daily regimen. 20% of Wellwithall's profits are committed to leading the fight for health equity. They won't stop until it is truly Wellwithall. Under the radar means hearing about things you didn't know you needed to know until you hear them. It's a serious look. To hear about the issues that don't get the attention they deserve. Under the radar doesn't get caught up in the day-to-day. Surfacing issues that are not talked about in mainstream media. I think it's something that connects us to each other. Under the radar is all about discovery. I can be guaranteed voices I haven't heard before. But also the questions. Under the radar is one step ahead. I'm Callie Crossley. This week on Under the Radar with Callie Crossley... Why not me? Why not me right now? Sam Grew, he wins gold! Callahan Young takes the USA through! This is what it's all about! Champion, hero, friend, colleague, role model, or just human. You are the best of humanity. Anybody watching this, believe in yourself. Nick Mayhew with another world record! When I got here, nobody knew my name. Mayhew pulling away! And when I leave, Everybody's going to know. Sounds from the Tokyo Paralympics this summer. The American elite athletes who have physical and neurological disabilities meddled in competitions from archery to swimming. Paralympians like Brenna Clark, who is autistic, the first female U.S. athlete to win gold for 400-meter track in 2016 and who broke a world record this summer in Tokyo. Her training was key, but typical gyms normally don't accommodate people like Brianna with autism, Down syndrome, or cerebral palsy, conditions known as neurodiverse. Not only are the flashing lights and sounds in typical gyms often disorienting, but also many physical trainers haven't worked with neurodiverse people. But one local gym is changing that. Greater Boston's inclusive fitness is creating both a workout space and a community. Later in the show, quilts. The word may conjure up images of comfy blankets knitted by grandma, but quilting, long under-recognized by the fine art world, is now museum-ready. Quilts have jumped off the bed onto the wall and are now seen as works of art. Fabric of a Nation, American Quilt Stories at the Museum of Fine Arts, celebrates quilts as narrative. But first, joining me remotely, Greg Austin, founder, president, and coach at Inclusive Fitness, a Boston-based gym that specializes in training neurodiverse people. Welcome, Greg. Hi, Callie. Also with me, Kristen Abendroth, director of client experience and head neurotypical coach at Inclusive Fitness. Hi, Kristen. Hi, Callie. Thanks for having us. I'm glad to have you. And Barbara Baker, parent of Mary Gwynn, an inclusive fitness athlete. Thanks for joining us, Barbara. Thanks for having me. All right, I'm going to jump in with you, Greg. This whole venture, the Inclusive Fitness Gym, was your idea, your brainchild, you and your wife. Tell us how it came to be. That's right, Callie. Um, It was very much a partnership between myself and my wife, and it was inspired by our son, Lucas, who is turning 16 this week. Um, He is autistic and is the absolute love of our life. And we noticed that when he was younger and even up to today, that when he was exercising and being active, that uh, he was a a different kind of kid. He was very focused. He was very calm. 
and he was in a better place. And so that I think had to do with the fact that my wife and I are also quite active. We like to exercise. I like to cycle and run. She likes to do the same. And we both weight train. And so that's been a pretty big part of our lives. And so we, of course, know the difference that exercise has uh, in our lives and, and how it makes us feel like it does virtually everybody. But when we noticed the impact that it had on Lucas, we, uh, we started to clue into the fact that uh, maybe we could do something more and even more specific to help people like Lucas um, actually get the access to exercise and the benefits of that that we enjoy. And so a few years ago, uh, I left my corporate executive job uh, doing marketing for a consulting firm and came up with the brainchild with, again, Christina of inclusive fitness to bring access to many people like Lucas, not only in the Boston area, but eventually, uh, hopefully around the country so that they can enjoy the same things that we experience as well. So you and your wife, I mean, you don't you didn't start from zero here. Uh, yes, it was an idea that came to both of you, but you both have MBAs in entrepreneurship. So you could at least start there with uh, understanding what it takes to build a business. But of course, when you looked around, there was no such thing as inclusive fitness, um, even though you were fitness geeks. And you, as you said, you had the experience of seeing the impact on your own son, Lucas, who is autistic. Um, what made you think this was going to work? <laughs> That's a great question. <laughs> and I, you're not the first to ask it. The, the reality is that our personal lived experience was where, where we became convinced that this was an opportunity. But being entrepreneurs and, and having 20-year careers in marketing uh, uh, sort of uh, made it very clear that we needed to do our homework and we needed to really think this thing through. So in addition to our lived experience, we started speaking to others in the community, friends, uh, developmental pediatricians, neurologists, uh, occupational therapists, uh, to gauge their understanding of the need and, and sort of the gap that, that exists. And furthermore, we employed our, our background in marketing and market research to do focus groups, to do surveys, uh, and we partnered with different organizations like Autism Alliance Metro West to reach out to the broader community and understand you know, how big of an issue is this um, and, and uh, how important is it. And we, we quickly discovered that we weren't alone, that there are hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of people in the Boston area who are in the same position of us, as us and maybe didn't even know that this was a possibility, but knew that there needed to be something better than what they were getting today. And so uh, with that research and with some fantastic partnerships and advice from, from many people, because uh, this was very much a team effort, we conceived of the idea and with, with I would say, a, a good deal of confidence that there was definitely a market here and a need that we can meet in a very unique way. Okay. So, Kristen Abendroth, you are the Director of Client Experience and Head Neuro, what we what you call Neurotypical Coach at Inclusive Fitness. But before, you, you were not an entrepreneur, you were a fitness expert, and you and Greg met. Tell me how the meeting of the minds came to be about your ending up working with Greg at Inclusive Fitness. So Greg and his wife, Christina, had been clients of mine. Um, I was working for a large fitness franchise as a head coach for several years, and we became friends. And one day after class, Greg pulled me aside and said, you know, I have this idea and I want to run it by you. And he gave me a little background and told me about what at that time was just a, a plan for inclusive fitness. And I was immediately covered head to toe in goosebumps. And I said, Greg, I need to be a part of this. This is going to be amazing. Why did that excite you so much? 
I've been in fitness for a while. Before that, my background was in education. So I taught in the public school system for about 10 years. But throughout my life, I've always been involved with neurodiverse populations. Both of my parents were special educators. And so it was always a part of my life to work with people with Down syndrome, people with autism, and then continuing that with summer camps that I was a part of as a younger person. And then uh, as a teacher, I always felt drawn to those populations. And this was an opportunity for me to combine my passion for fitness with my passion for helping people. So one of the first things you did was get certified by the Autism Fitness Certification Program. What was that like? What did that involve? So that was a workshop uh, with a gentleman by the name of Eric Chesson, who is currently our director of neuroadaptive programming. So he's on our team as well. And um, Greg got the certification first, I believe, started working with Lucas and implementing some of the training with his own son, really loved what he saw. And so we had a small team that was certified about two years ago this past summer. And uh, we spent a weekend learning how to take what we already knew as fitness professionals and learn how to, to teach that to people who are neurodiverse. So it's just a matter of taking the same functional movements, the foundation of fitness, squatting, pushing, pulling, lifting, rotating, and learning how to teach that to people who have different learning styles. So it may be the communication, it may be the language, it may be the ability to progress or regress exercises on any given day with those athletes. But it was just bridging the gap between what we already knew about fitness and how to teach it to populations of neurodiverse individuals. So we're using the term neurodiverse, as we've said, to describe people who have autism, Down syndrome, cerebral palsy and, and other similar neurological conditions. And we're using the term neurotypical, that's in your title, to describe who? So neurotypical athletes are athletes who do not have autism or Down syndrome or cerebral palsy. Typical athletes. So in our case, we work with the parents, caregivers, brothers, sisters of our neurodiverse athletes to help support them by strengthening the ecosystem surrounding them. So for example, we have athletes who come in where Greg will train the 11-year-old son who has autism, and I work with mom mm. at the same time. They have separate experiences, but in the gym. And it's not only a bonding experience for them, they leave feeling happier, they leave feeling lighter, they leave with that shared experience that carries over to home. So really what you're describing, and Greg, you can uh, add to this after Kristen answers, is a communal experience. Absolutely. This is all about creating a healthy lifestyle. It's not a six-week or an eight-week program. And as Greg will, I'm sure, tell you, you know, a lot of these parents, one of their one of the things that weighs very heavily on them is what happens to their child when they're no longer able to support them. So this is really about ingraining it into our athletes that fitness is a lifelong endeavor. Greg, would you add to that? Yeah, I would love to. And, and I think Kristen did a great job of, of explaining sort of our, our approach to this. Uh, one of the things we discovered when we were doing our focus groups a couple of years ago, <clears throat> and it's certainly been reinforced in our experience here, is, is that every neurodivergent person, uh, every person really, is uh, part of an ecosystem. And we, we think it's incredibly important to see the ecosystem and treat the ecosystem as a whole, as opposed to just uh, working with the individual. Because if you, if you think about it, children, they, they model and admire what their parents do, uh, hopefully. And we certainly believe that if uh, an athlete here sees uh, mom, dad, sisters, brothers, or um, even their aides and teachers exercising, 
then it's not just something that they have to do, but it's something that is what others do. And it's just the way we live our lives. And to Kristen's point, this helps ingrain that into to their, their minds and their way of being. And so that's one very important part of it. But I would also add that we also discovered during our research that um, many, many parents um, and sisters and brothers and others often feel like they don't have the time and, and logistically don't to take care of themselves. Um, and as Kristen often says, you can't pour from an empty cup. And supporting someone who is, in, is neurodivergent, as I'm sure Barbara will, will, will share with you, you know, it's a lifelong endeavor. It's a, it's a joy, but it's a challenge. And so having a healthy body and having the opportunity to do some self-care on a regular basis is, is not just important for that role model uh, portion of the, uh, the equation, but it's also incredibly important for the, the parents themselves and the others so that they have a high quality of life. So we want people to come to inclusive fitness with the idea in mind that they don't just sit in a chair and watch their, their child work out, but on the contrary, that they work out as well. And it doesn't have to be here, by the way. If they're doing something outside of this place and we're giving them the opportunity to maybe even rest here, that's great. But the point is that we do see it as an ecosystem and we hope that that will create that long-term ingrained healthy lifestyle. So Barbara Baker, you're the mother of Mary Gwynn, who is now 25. You came to Boston when she was quite little. So what I'd love you to do is talk about what it was like in the early years before you found inclusive fitness in terms of your just trying to keep Mary Gwynn active. Well, it's really been a challenge. Um, Every child with autism is so completely different. And I always found that the programs that were offered, be it for gym or music or any leisure activity, that they were all sort of trying to clump all these kids into one group and teach them and have them enjoy it. And it just wasn't possible because they really do learn best in a one-to-one situation um, because they are so, so different. So I think I've tried every single program any kind of fun thing, any kind of music, any kind of gym for the last 20 years since we've been here. And they've all just been a flop. And I've tried over and over again. I'd hear of another one. I think maybe she'll like this. Maybe this will work for her. And she didn't. It just, she didn't, it didn't resonate with her. It didn't work for her in terms of instruction and the way she processes things. And it was just one failure after another. And so quite frankly, now that she's 25, I'm at a point where I used to try everything. Now I'm a lot more selective because it's like, oh my gosh, are we just setting ourselves up for one more disappointment that it just doesn't work for her? When I heard about inclusive fitness, quite frankly, I was skeptical because I thought, here we go again. We're going to find another program. It's not going to work. It's going to be a disappointment for me, for her. And But um, I liked what I heard. I talked with Greg and I thought, you know, it's worth a try. It's one-on-one, which is certainly different. And then of course, having his knowledge, having a son with autism meant so much to me because I knew he would understand her or get her better than other coaches. And um, frankly, until we came to inclusive fitness, I had no idea that she liked to exercise. I thought she hated to exercise. Hmm. Um, I thought it was just a horrible burden on her. But what I'm finding is, is that she really enjoys it. And she's a really hard worker at what he asks her to do. And, um, and she really gets a lot out of it. And there's never 
ever a day where I say, let's go see Greg, let's go to gym, that she isn't ready to hop in the car and go, which is certainly not the case before. And, and she really cooperates uh, because he knows how to, he knows how to teach her. He knows how to break things down into small pieces. He has gained her trust. And it, it's just amazing to see because it's, it's really such a beautiful thing to see her enjoying something and doing something that looks really appropriate for a change. She's, she's a very high sensory seeking child. And so she has a lot of, of, a lot of behaviors where she's just trying to make sense of her environment and she's stomping or she's twirling or she's really trying to get that sensory input. And Greg has her doing things where she gets that input, but it's appropriate things for a change. And so who knew she would like pushing a hundred pound sled? Who knew she would like <laughs> yanking a cord with the 60 pound weight on it? I had no idea. I was completely surprised, but she does and she likes it and she likes the way it makes her feel. And um, I never ever would have thought to try things like that with her. And I never have had the opportunity to try those kinds of things with her because typically gym classes were a lot of kids and they would, they would ask them to imitate them and, you know, do exercises and kick their legs and blah, blah. These children don't imitate well. It takes them a long, long time to learn to imitate something. And so, you know, she would just give up. And this is completely different. So uh, it's just, it's been amazing. And Barbara, one of the things I, I wanted to underscore here is that uh, Mary Gwen is on the autistic spectrum, just so people understand that, and she's nonverbal. Yes. So we're talking about really having, uh, you know, someone being able to reach her and mm -hmm. to have her respond in ways that everybody can see and that she can embrace. Absolutely. And one of the things that's so interesting, so Mary Gwen uses an iPad for communicating, and it's a program where she has a limited, very limited vocabulary, but a decent vocabulary to get her needs met. Um, she doesn't even use that with Greg. Wow. I'm always like, here's the device. And she just puts it on the table and it's finished. And they don't need it. The way that he communicates with her, slow instructions and modeling and language, because he knows what he's doing. She just, she gets it. I mean, she, she's able to process a lot of language. She can't speak verbally, but she's able to process a lot of language. And when it's communicated to her in the appropriate way with the visuals, she is very much able to follow along and learn. If you're just tuning in, this is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm Callie Crossley, and I'm here with Greg Austin, founder of Inclusive Fitness, Kristen Abendroth, director of client experience at Inclusive Fitness, and Barbara Baker, parent of an inclusive fitness athlete. We're discussing why it is important to create fitness environments for people with neurological disabilities. Now, back to you, Kristen. Here's something that stood out for me about uh, what you have said. The majority of your athletes do not have any physical limitations some have limited range of motion, but most of their bodies are fine. Uh, please talk about that, because I think that may be in everybody's mind. That's one of the reasons I wanted to also mention the Paralympics. That, that doesn't stop them either. But I think that's in the minds of people when you start talking about people with special needs, that that's a barrier, the physicality. Yeah, so oftentimes there are physical barriers, and that would be the same with neurotypical athletes as well. Uh, with our athletes, it's a matter of spending some time before the athlete even comes to the center, 
to learn a little more about them from their parents or caregivers or from the athlete themselves, if they're a self-advocating individual, figure out what their past experiences have been, past challenges have been, and what their current goals are. And then from there, we work together to come up with a plan. And as we start to work with the athlete, we add more and more exercises. We always presume competence. That's one of our core values. We wouldn't presume that Mary Gwen couldn't do something. We would put something in front of her, see if she was able to do it now. Um, and if, if she is, great. If she's not, okay, what are the barriers? What do we need to do? How do we need to adapt our coaching and adapt our environment so that she may in the future be able to be successful with this particular exercise or movement that we're trying to master? And the exercises that we do here at Inclusive Fitness are exercises you would see in a typical gym. You're going to see us squatting. You're going to see us pushing, pulling, rotating, all of those different exercises that you would see in a typical gym. It's just that our instructional delivery is more appropriate for the athletes that we're working with. If there are physical limitations or barriers, for example, we have several athletes who have cerebral palsy or traumatic brain injury, we need to, as coaches, put on our scientific hats and say, okay, what's going on here? What's the cause? What's causing this limitation? And how are we going to adapt our programming for that athlete? So that may involve doing an exercise that one would normally do standing from a seated position. It might be mean modifying with a different type of equipment than we would normally use for that exercise. So our goal is to make quality fitness and quality movement accessible to all of our athletes. And talk to me about the importance of the environment itself in which you're doing this specialized approach. Because uh, Barbara brought up the sort of sensory concerns or issues or realities for a lot of people who are neurodiverse. But you have created the environment in inclusive fitness so that it accommodates that. Yeah, it's actually a very spa-like setting, um, even down to the colors that are used in the center, the paint choices, the lighting is dimmable um, to be more sensory friendly for our athletes. In a lot of typical gyms, you walk in and there's a lot to take in. There's music pumping. There are people everywhere. There's equipment everywhere. Inclusive fitness is laid out in such a way that while there is equipment and there are people, it's a lot more sensory friendly for our athletes. We're able to provide private spaces if that's what an athlete needs. We typically don't have music playing in the center, although sometimes if there's an athlete in the center and they request it and it's okay with everyone else in the building, then we do have music playing, but it's typically a very welcoming and safe space for our athletes. So Greg Austin, back to you, founder and owner of Inclusive Fitness. One of the things that you pointed out, which I it gave me a little bit of pause and I thought, you know, he's absolutely correct. There is more evidence now of acceptance about people with physical and mental challenges, more evidence that they are present. You know, there was a time where there would just be, and I'm not saying it's it's the greatest. I don't I don't want the email about that because it's not yet, but where they would just essentially be invisible or made to be invisible. And that's changed. And that created what you've called a cultural tipping point for you to do something like this. Yeah, that's right. We're in a very interesting time, I think. Autism, Down syndrome, cerebral palsy, uh, many other intellectual disabilities and delays have been around for, for a very, very long time and, you know, for, for as far as long as we know. But what we've, I think, seen over the last, let's say, 15 or 20 years is a significant increase in, in both prevalence and, as you pointed out, acknowledgement and acceptance of its presence. 
and don't know why there is such an uptick. Uh, certainly, I think there is a lot of research going into trying to understand that. But be that as it may, there is at least a concurrent increase in that acceptance. Uh, you're seeing uh, more portrayals of people who may, for example, be autistic or have Down syndrome in advertising in the media. You're seeing a lot more awareness being generated by organizations, largely, if not almost exclusively driven by parents who are raising awareness and, and, and uh, making this something that is, is not only something that should be um, acknowledged and accepted, but in, uh, I'm hoping in the, in the not too distant future celebrated. There's another uh, phenomenon that I think has been happening that is, is really interesting and why it's, it's creating at least a tipping point for what we're doing here at Inclusive Fitness. And I think that has to do with the fact that there has been this significant jump in the incidence of, of uh, intellectual disability and delay, and particularly autism, uh, over the last 10 or 15, maybe 20 years. And what's happened is uh, people like my son and people like Mary Gwynn, for example, and many of the athletes here, they've been growing up. And uh, what's happened is when you, when you first learn, for example, that your child has an intellectual disability or delay is, is you sort of reset expectations, you, you reorient the things that are important and your priorities, you're focusing on therapies, you're focusing on neurologists, you're focusing on special education programming. And then as they mature, you start to think about other things that would naturally occur in the life cycle of any individual. You start to think about, okay, what about their job, their, their occupation? What about you know, future education? What about their living? Uh, what's going to happen with them financially? Uh, as you mentioned earlier, you know, uh, we all die. And as a parent, you're thinking, well, what happens to them once we pass along? And so uh, there, I think, has been this maturation curve that's been occurring over the last uh, many years. And one of those things that is often forgotten, but now is starting, I think, to, to become more and more in the forefront of people's minds is that, oh, what about the physical fitness, the health uh, lifestyle of, of my child, of uh, the people in my care? Uh, we can't forget that because if we don't instill these things now, as they mature, they're, they're probably not going to take it upon themselves to do it. So it's our job to start thinking about that earlier on. And so I think we're at a tipping point because of all those factors that I talked about and, and probably many others that I don't even comprehend yet that are leading to this awareness and this, this desire to create not only that network and that support, that financial structure for our kids and occupational opportunities, but also a high quality of physical living so that they can live out their best lives. So uh, that's kind of what we're thinking about in terms of that tipping point and why I think to your very first question to me, why is this a possible and viable business? I think that's one of the key points right there. Hmm. Now, you thought it was so viable. You opened during the pandemic. <laughs> I mean, yeah, brilliant, that, right? <laughs> that's a lot. But obviously, you've done okay, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, I would say more than okay to be to be um, maybe not humble enough because I tend to be skeptical when it comes to launching businesses. Most don't succeed, right? If I learned anything uh, at getting my MBA at Babson, uh, it was certainly that. But at the same time, I, I'm excited about the fact that we launched in the midst of a pandemic. Now, I, I don't mean to in the least diminish the tragedy of what, what we've all been going through. That being said, what allowed us to be successful, I think, was the fact that there just wasn't a lot happening in society. We found that by launching uh, in October of last year, so it's not been quite a year yet, we were able to start slowly 
test out what we were doing, kind of get the model right and gradually build our base of, of athletes and, and families and then refine it uh, without feeling like there was a massive onslaught of people coming in uh, and expecting us to have it right uh, uh, immediately. Because um, that's, that's a very challenging thing to do because we're doing something that in many respects is you know, a vanguard. It's, it's on, the, on the cutting edge of, of what people are doing in this space. And so we're kind of making it up. I think we're doing it with the, the right process and the right insights and, and advisors, but it is new. And so we're not going to get the model 100% right. And so having that time because it was quieter in society has allowed us to be, I think, more thoughtful in our approach. And there's, there's one other benefit, at least to us, which is that we found ourselves not competing with as much noise in the marketplace. Bear in mind, I have a marketing background and the, uh, the disadvantage of starting outside of a pandemic is that you're fighting all the noise, if you will, from all the other competing things that people can choose from and all the advertising and that sort of thing. We didn't have that. And so it allowed us to spread the word kind of quietly uh, and, 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 and at the same time build the business slowly so that we're at a point now where it is starting to really pick up. And uh, Kristen and I are getting to that point where it's like, oh, wow, uh, we're growing quickly now. But I think we're more prepared for it than we would have been otherwise if we had had to move too, too soon. Are, you know, you, you have the one, and I know you're planning on expanding to two other sites uh, around in Massachusetts. In general, in, in the country, how many more inclusive fitness-like gyms are there? Mm. Well, it, when we were doing our research and kind of getting a feel for what's out there, and also, by the way, trying to connect with people to learn from them, we discovered that there are uh, very, very few. And I say very few. We're talking probably less than five. I think in my business prospectus, I said 10 to be generous because I probably didn't find them all. Mm, okay. um, and that's in comparison to the thousands and thousands of fitness facilities that are out there for people who are neurotypical. And as Kristen de uh, described earlier, may not be really well tailored for people like Mary Gwynn and, and Lucas, my son, and, and, and many others. So there's a huge huge gap. Uh, and and uh, we're starting here, but hopefully we, we will eventually expand uh, well beyond Massachusetts across the, the United States. So Barbara Baker, mother of Mary Gwen, one of the inclusive fitness athletes, yours will be the last voice in this conversation because I really want you to explain from an emotional standpoint what you felt that first time that your daughter was at inclusive fitness and you saw the connection that was being made there and realized, you know, how important that was. So I want to clarify also that um, nothing happens quickly with people on the spectrum. So our first few, maybe three, four, five, were basically her getting to know Greg in a private room without any outside stimulation and them working on very, very basic things to hold her attention, to build her comfort level, to, to see what she was capable of. And again, and it, they were just, Greg was just talking about how they were able to be very mindful about how they, how they have grown and how they have developed as a company. And that is the key to, to this population. They need patience, they need time. And it's just been so amazing to see her go from being in that room the first day and kind of just jumping around, twirling around, dancing around like she likes to do, to now being out in the main room of the gym, doing the exercises 
that other kids are doing and pushing the sled like you might see a very typical person doing in a gym. Um, I mean, it's, you know, I, I really don't even have the words to describe. When you have a child with autism, the successes like this are so few. And to have found something that she really likes and looks so good doing it and looks almost typical doing it is it, just, it's amazing. It, it really is amazing. And it, it makes you feel such a sense of accomplishment. Like I said, we've had years of failures of these kinds of things. And I'm just so happy for her that she, that we have found something that she enjoyed so much and that she's good at and she feels proud doing. And, and as a result, it, it really is reinforcing for me as a parent to feel like I finally found something for her that clicks with her. And I, I'm just, I'm so grateful to Greg and Kristen and the whole group for how deliberate they've been in developing this and the knowledge they have and the research they've done because it is like none other. And I hope to, that we can be a part of it for a very long time because I, I love seeing her more physically fit. It's really been such a joy to work with them and so amazing to see Mary Gwen succeed. Well, I thank you for sharing that and I thank all of you for joining me. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us on, Callie. It's been a real pleasure. Greg Austin is founder, president, and coach at Inclusive Fitness, a Boston-based gym that specializes in training neurodiverse people. Kristen Abendroth is director of client experience and head neurotypical coach at Inclusive Fitness. And Barbara Baker is parent of Mary Gwen, an inclusive fitness athlete. Coming up, quilters have long used woven fabric to tell multi-dimensional stories about their lives and communities their collective work telling America's story. Now these tactile, intricate pieces, once primarily spread on beds, are hanging on museum walls. A new exhibition at the Museum of Fine Arts Boston shines the spotlight on this art form. That's next. This is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm Callie Crossley.